0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: What a gorgeous Wednesday. It's perfect out. Groove the swing a little bit this morning. A month of boot camp behind me, my boy Vince got me a much higher tighter position, it's going to be a good year it's going to be a good season, I'm just telling you what and there'll be a lot to talk about the golf course coming up later on this weekend when we know exactly who's going to be under center for the Indianapolis Colts coming up this year, we spent the first half an hour just doing what we've done every day for the last three months and that is debate, debate, debate and going endless circles so we need some clarity and who better to offer that than seven year NFL veteran you know him from the Ross Tucker pod, he's on Westwood One, works with the Eagles, CBS sports he's everywhere he's Ross Tucker hey Ross how are you
2: I'm doing awesome how are you guys doing you fired up
1: uh, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, fired up. we're fired up for you. We're, um, I would say, a little punch drunk at this point in time in terms of talking about the fourth overall pick in the draft tomorrow. And, and I use the term weaponize a lot, Ross, in the first segment because I feel like we've just reached that point in time where I can take the positive traits of any of the four quarterbacks in this draft. And for the sake of the Colts, we're kind of talking about three beyond Bryce Young. And I could take the positive and turn it into a negative about somebody else or the negative on one and turn it into a positive on everybody else. How do you sort through the noise at this juncture of the draft process
2: Um, well two separate things number one you're a thousand percent correct Um, I too could make the argument and or counter argument for all three of those quarterbacks because we all sort of have come to a consensus on what their strengths and weaknesses are and that's sort of perception right because my guess is one of those three will end up being good one may be okay, and the other one bad, and nobody really knows which one each of those three is going to be. um But then the other thing is, nobody really has any idea what's going to happen. And I don't know if you guys saw, but I just put on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. You know, I've read a lot in the last 24 hours, and. Evidently, guys, Will Levis is going to go number one to the Panthers, number two to the Texans, and number four to the Colts.
1: Versatile. It's a timeshare.
2: Setting, setting an NFL record as the first player to be drafted three times in the first four picks.
1: We need his marketing team is what we
3: need.
2: <laughs> it's, oh. unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. And it's, it's so funny, too, because it's like I don't really think the Texans would take Levis at two at all. I think they're trying to convince the Colts to move up to two. Um, And the Colts, I mean, all these reports that they like Levis, it's because supposedly uh, the Mannings like him. I mean, like, at this point, I love the draft, but I'm kind of like, you guys, I'm just ready for it to happen. I don't know. I keep referencing my social media, at Ross Tucker NFL, but, you know, my dad was a sales guy um for like 30 years and he sold to like walmart and kmart and target all that and i remember him telling me when kmart was going out of business that Kmart was going out of business because they were stuck in the middle like if people wanted the lowest price they went to walmart if people wanted to go to a store like that to get something maybe a little bit nicer they went to target and kmart was just like in the middle and that's my comparison for Levis. Let's say all three other than Bryce Young are there, okay, for the Colts at four. I kind of feel like if they want, like, the best pocket passer, polished, ready to go, I, I feel like they would draft CJ Stroud. Yeah. If they want the guy with the upside, you know, the potential that you just have to groom and he's so big and he's so fast and his arm's so strong, then I feel like that would be Robinson. I mean, I, I guess I just don't really see where it would be Levis. I feel like he's he's not either guy. He's kind of stuck in the middle. Hmm.
3: Ross, I've become reserved to the fact that I think the Colts are ultimately going to take Will Levis. That's not something I'm hearing. That's just what I think is going to happen. So when you look at what's the best case scenario for him under Shane Steichen and what you think is most likely to happen with him under Shane Steichen, what do you see from his tape?
2: Um, best case scenario is probably, um, Josh Allen. I mean, Levis is a really put together kid. You know, I live in central Pennsylvania, so I watched his high school video when he came to Penn state. I watched him at Penn state, you know, like three years ago, four years ago, um, Penn State had a quarterback competition between Tommy Stevens, who the Saints drafted in the seventh round, and Sean Clifford, who has was Penn State's starting quarterback the last four years. And I remember a Penn State coach saying to me, if you came to one of our practices, the guy that you would say, who the heck is that, and looks like an NFL quarterback, is Will Levis. And I think he was a true freshman then, but they're like, he looks like Troy Aikman, you know, with the throws he makes and stuff like that. Um, and so he's got oodles, oodles of ability. The one thing I think is interesting, by the way, and I, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think, I can't think of any Hall of Fame quarterbacks that are that slapped together like him. I mean, those pictures like that he posted recently – that guy is shredded, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not saying it's a negative. I mean, look, I wish I looked like that. I wouldn't even wear a shirt when I was on TV if I looked like Levis, right? But I do think it's kind of weird that I can't think of any, like, Hall of Fame or really good quarterbacks that were all yoked up like that. I mean, I was teammates with Brady, and all he ever talked about was pliability and flexibility You know, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning uh, aren't exactly body beautiful. So I just, I find that part of it interesting. I think the ceiling for him is Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen improvement is really rare. And I know that the team around him wasn't great this year, the O-line, the receivers, but he was still taking those sacks. He was still making those poor choices. He was still, um, you know, the one making some of those bad throws. There's not a big track record for guys overcoming that. I mean, Josh Allen's like the only one, I guess, to a lesser extent, Stafford, but he went one overall. To a lesser extent, maybe Jalen Hurts and the improvement he showed under Steichen, which is what the one dot I do connect between Levis and the Colts is there's a lot of similarities between Hurts and Levis. They're both put together. They're both good runners, but maybe more like power runners than speed guys. Um, they both have been up and down throwing the football until Hurts this past year. And they both get rave reviews in terms of their, like, football character. So maybe uh, maybe Shane, who I was really impressed with the last couple of years in Philly, maybe Shane sees Levis and thinks he can do a Jalen Hurts with him.
1: At Ross Tucker NFL to follow all of his thoughts and the media empire that is the Ross Tucker podcast and everything else. And Ross, you mentioned Shane Steichen and you mentioned a couple of quarterbacks in some of those sort of comps that Shane has worked with in his, you know, somewhat young NFL career. And it kind of begs the question of where we are in 2023 in the NFL, too, is do you is the best quarterback prospect one who can pass and then run when need to run and you teach to pass I understand that every situation is sort of different we look at the various guys and what they've had in success and and Shane appearance to have the track record to be able to work with whatever those skills might be but I think you can kind of you can balance the columns of these prospects right like one guy CJ Stroud throws better than the others, and can run when he needs to, while the other guys could probably run, and then can we tidy up the throwing? Like, Where would you, if you had a pick in this draft and you wanted to pick just the the prototypical best quarterback for modern 2023 NFL football, what's the balance of those traits?
2: Uh, I think it's a really good question, Um, and it's why I don't think the Colts will draft C.J. Stroud. I think that, Steichen saw the other side and he saw how valuable it is to have a quarterback that can run, even if you don't run him that much, which is why even if CJ Stroud's there at four, I don't think the Colts take him. Mm -hmm. I think they take Levis or Richardson because I think Steichen saw with Hurts the last couple years, holy crap, Offense is a lot easier if the defense is concerned about your quarterback running the football. I really, really believe that. And so um, I I think it's one of those guys. I think not only the the run threat, but what it does, the angles it gives your O-line, what it does for the passing game with the RPOs, and then even, you know, having that guy being able to scramble for a couple first downs a yeah. game. I mean, it's just, it's really hard. you, you got to be so good. you got to be like Brady or Manning to, to really be a good quarterback these days if you can't run.
3: Ross, when you're doing final evaluations and final chatter around the league between now and tomorrow night, are you expecting any type of movement in terms of two and three, or do you think it's ultimately going to play out where the teams are on the board?
2: Um, no, I, I, I think someone's going to trade to three, uh, ahead of the Colts. So I think someone is, I think if the Texans don't take a quarterback at two, and most people seem to think they're going to take a defensive player, then I think someone is going to say, we can get the second best quarterback if we jump ahead of the Colts, whoever they think that is, and they're going to trade with Arizona, who seems pretty, I don't know, desperate's the right word, but Arizona pretty clearly wants to trade down, it seems like, and I think they will have a taker.
1: Yeah. Well, we had this question, too, earlier today. I don't actually know if if the Texans go defense at number 2, does that – make the three-to-pick more value? Is that the ideal scenario for Arizona? Because there's a part of me that almost thinks if the Texans take C.J. Stroud, which has kind of been the initial thought before a lot of this you know, last couple of weeks sort of scuttlebutt came about, if he's gone, then the lack of quarterbacks could almost prompt movement, even maybe from Indianapolis too, to just swap from four to three. I, I haven't made up my mind yet which scenario actually improves the value of number three for Arizona.
2: Um... That's an interesting point. Is it is it is it scarcity, or is it the opportunity right. to get yeah, number two? Exactly right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, because you could look at it the other way, like you said, that if the Texans don't take one, here's the thing: if the Texans don't take a quarterback at number two, they're trading back up. I mean. The Houston Texans are not going into next year okay, with
1: Davis Mills.
2: With Davis yeah. Mills and Case Keenum as their quarterback. That is not happening. There will be a riot. They will <laughs> they will sell zero season tickets. That's not happening. Now listen, maybe they trade for Mac Jones, maybe they get Lamar Jackson, maybe they trade for Trey Lance. D'Amico Ryan just came from there. But that's the one thing I think is really interesting. About the Texans potentially passing on a quarterback at two, is that I feel like they are then telegraphing and they're going to trade back up. And so, you know, they better have that trade worked out ahead of time.
3: Ross, I want to jump out of the draft for a second and address another fine tweet that you can find at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter French fries are overrated?
2: They are. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. This that more let's, talk let's talk let's real get, Let's talk real stuff. Let's this stuff. Forget substance. this quarterback crap. Let's Come get on. to we, this. Enough. Yeah. enough. Well, so first of all, okay, just because you say something is overrated doesn't mean you don't like them. I love fries. I think they're usually great. In particular, I love the fries at Five Guys. Mm. I love waffle fries mm. at Chick-fil-A. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But people act like... Fries are the star of the show. Oh, fries, fries. No, they're a so The reality is you go to like some mom and pop restaurant or you go to a lot of places, even like Wendy's fries or Burger King, like they're really not that great. And even at Five Guys or Chick-fil-A, so often they're like, not at those two places, but other fries. They're either too crispy, too soggy. They didn't put enough salt on it. They put way too much salt on it. And I've come to the conclusion that even, like, at Five Guys, like, I just get a second burger. (laughs) And and I'm so happy. Or, like, at Chick-fil-A, my my people, well, you can't just get, you gotta get something else to go with it. Yeah, I get chicken nuggets, okay? And I dip them into the delicious honey mustard or barbecue, and I'm happier for it. I'm happier for the chicken nuggets than I would be with fries. So, fries are good. Fries are like a seven or an eight. But they're not a 9 or a 10, like the burger and the chicken sandwich. The like, fries are like a running back. You don't take it in the top 10. There you go. You know, running backs are important. You want to have a good running back. I like running back, but I'm not taking it in the top 10. I'm taking burgers and chicken sandwiches in the top 10.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm a two-protein guy, too. <laughs> like they it. give you the meals because they're, they're selling you. That's the profit maker. They're giving you fried potatoes and a $2 soda in the meal. No, no, no. You ask for the two main dishes. And cut out all that other garbage. I'm with you, Ross, on that one. You know what else plus I'm with you on, Ross?
2: Plus the chicken nuggets or the burger, they're actually healthier for you than just crushing more fried fries.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we can start to spread this
1: gospel. Uh, something else, Ross? I heard you on with our, our morning guys a couple of days ago and then immediately was on my phone afterwards. Uh, my wife is out of town. She's on a little girl's trip right now. So my kids and I are getting on MyFrontPageStory.com later this week, and we're going to knock out uh, all the great work that uh, you guys have there with this project for Mother's Day coming up. Tell us about what's going on at MyFrontPageStory.com.
2: Well, I love it because it's by far the best Mother's Day gift ever. People don't know what to get their mom. They really don't know what to get like the mother their kids, their wife. They, they have no idea. <laughs> Go to myfrontpagestory.com. They write the most unbelievable story about whoever you're getting the gift for. All you have to do is talk to them on the phone for five minutes or fill out a couple email uh, questions. It's framed. Looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. Like it looks like it's on the cover of the Indy Star. It's beautiful. And when you give it to them, they don't really know what it is. They never heard of it. So to be able to say, I had a story written about you, like they think you commissioned Bob Kravitz or like some (laughs) author to write some amazing story. You didn't have to do that at all. All you just go to myfrontpagestory.com. Then when they actually read it, they cry almost every time with the quotes (laughs) like, uh, my sister, we got one from my mom. My sister said she wouldn't be the woman she is without my mom. My mom just started bawling. And then my mom, by the way, did the hanging up in her kitchen. Now, she has like a townhouse, so it's not like a big place. But literally, the story is hanging up in her kitchen so she sees how much we love her every day. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. com.
1: That's awesome. Uh, he's at Ross Tucker, NFL, Ross Tucker podcast, com. Just, you know, if you just Google Ross Tucker, you'll find your way to it. Um, fries are slightly over. I'd agree with that. I totally agree with that. And uh, I'm getting that. I'm, all the mothers are getting front page stories <laughs> for me coming up this Mother's Day. Hey, Ross, uh, enjoy tomorrow and then a long vacation afterwards, I'm sure.
2: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much.
1: Thanks, Ross. That's Ross Tucker. <laughs> No matter who gets selected at four, maybe it's at three, can't imagine it's two, whenever the Colts actually select tomorrow, this next man will have it all covered for you. He covers the Colts for the star. You know him well. Joel Erickson joins us. Hey, Joel, how was uh, West 56th Street on this fine Wednesday?
4: Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. It's, it's a little bit uh, little bit different because we, we have assistant coaches and a couple of players here, and obviously uh, the draft is, is on everybody's mind, but you're, you're not really talking about the draft, right, because... Because you know it's not Shane Steichen or Chris Ballard or Jim Irsey talking. It's a little bit different, but beautiful day outside.
1: Okay, I have to, and I have to say this then, Joel. So it's got to be kind of refreshing because you know what? I would like to talk about something other than the draft for the first question. <laughs> so Quiddy Pay was at the podium. We're hearing from a couple of other assistant coaches. Give me something else other than quarterback of the future that is being talked about about the Colts today. Please just give me ninety seconds so my my brain can
4: refresh. Well, so I think I think Tony Sperano Jr. is really interesting to me, the new offensive line coach. It, he, he obviously has a, has a very familiar name. His dad was a legendary O-line coach. Um, but Sperano's kind of been – the Junior has been in the league now for, for more than a decade before he, he finally got his shot. And obviously what he does with this offensive line, particularly young guys like Bernard Ryman and Will Fries and who I'm kind of presuming will be at least one draft pick this weekend is going to play a big role in, in how this team goes considering the way it went last year and you know he's he's got a lot of different influences that's what we were talking to him today was about all the different influences he's got um you know worked with Doug Marone worked in a couple of different places Bobby Johnson last year with the Giants and he said they're going to do some stuff differently technically they're going to do some some stuff differently from style wise and I think I think, you know, uh, of all the, po- the positions that Shane Sykin had to hire, that one was probably the most important. And Sykin Steichen, Steichen really liked him in the interview, um, really liked what he brought to the table. And, you know, that's, that's going to be an interesting position, Coach, to watch as we go forward.
3: Offensive line growth very important oh my god ne- so it's a huge
1: it. story I mean you, you have to internally you have to get better no, yeah, you can ma- fix it's, this it's yeah. a massive aspect speaking
3: yeah. of which which quarterback do you think they're going to be protecting <laughs> us <laughs> uh, no I, I do want to ask a non-quarterback question before we go there though uh, Joel All jokes aside you also had an opportunity to talk with Reggie Wayne uh, you mentioned on Twitter that he kind of alluded to, to why he came back and what he wanted to achieve uh, in this second season as wide receivers coach uh, w- what did you get out of that conversation
4: well, it, it was interesting to me that he said he underachieved. I, I actually thought that considering everything else that was going wrong with the passing game, I'm probably in the minority in this, you know, across the city, but I thought the receivers, um, you know, played pretty well. I, you know, Alec Alec Pierce, uh, for a rookie, I mean, he, he, was, he, he wasn't, you know, a star, but almost 600 yards as a rookie, more than Michael Pittman Jr. had his first year uh, that's kind of a little bit better than I was expecting from him in his first season. Paris Campbell, obviously, before he, you know, he left for the Giants this year, but he had, a, he had his best year, which probably partially had to do with – or not partially, it had a lot to do with him not being injured, but he also had a definable role. And I think that some of the, some of the catch numbers they put up specifically uh, were pretty impressive given just how bad the passing offense was overall. So I, I thought, you know, I came away from last year thinking Reggie Wayne did a pretty good job. So it's interesting to hear him say that he felt like he underachieved and that there was he had unfinished business. He he said, you know, he, he had to kind of, you know, interview again or really interview for the first time because I think my understanding of how he got here in the first place is that Frank Reich was after him for four years before he got him in here. So just, just really interesting to hear him say that. Um, I don't know that, that I would have uh, thought that he would have felt like he had to achieve, but that's, that's where he's at and why he's back in the building as, as incredibly the only the, the second oldest coach on the offensive staff.
1: That's amazing. At Joel A. Erickson on Twitter, if you want to read up about all these stories. I'll soft transition back to the draft here, Joel, and I'm going to go this direction because you talk about Reggie Wayne. He's probably going to have a new player to deal with coming out of this draft in that wide receiver room. You've talked about Tony Sperano Jr. He's probably going to have a player or two that's fresh into that room coming out of this draft. We know they are going to have to be one or two cornerbacks in Gus Bradley's defensive unit that are likely going to have to come out of this draft. You start to add up the needs and the number of draft picks. and well, You have to hit a lot um, with the draft capital that they have, which sort of leads to my question here is we don't know if the draft board is going to play out to where they can get who they always wanted at the fourth overall selection, but given all of the other sort of needs how likely or unlikely is it that the Colts want to move any of that capital to move up? Whether it's just from four to three or if it's from 35 back into the later first round, is it even worth the cost of that capital given the fact that you know you have to pick up at least four or five positions of need just to be able to put together a good roster for the fall? I
4: I think you can still move up if you need to, because you can always, you can always move back with a later pick and pick some of that stuff back up. You know, I think, I think, you know, Colts fans with, with Ballard at the helm are, are pretty used to it now where there's going to be three or four trade. There Sometimes there's two or three or four trades in a draft and some up, most of them back. Uh, he usually finds a way to pick up an extra pick or two. I think that's probably going to happen again. Um, but I agree with you. I, I think the other thing is just, you know, they, they're going to have to have some, some lower round picks hit. Uh, and, and really, really, it, it's kind of, you just wish, Ballard said last week that he feels like there's still, there's still some players available in free agency, particularly at offensive line and cornerbacks, but I, I kind of wish you were going into this draft feeling like, you know, we've at the very least added a player at all of those positions in need, and now we're drafting a player on top of something we've already addressed. That's that's kind of where, where you, you know, if, if, if I was running the team, which obviously I'm not and never will be, that's that's kind of where I'd want to be, but that's, that's not the way they've approached it, and it does put... A little bit more of a premium on this draft that some of those other positions need, which I know no one wants to talk about those right now. But we'll talk about them uh, in the fall if you know the cornerbacks are playing bad, or if uh, the rookie, if if a you know a draft pick at that position isn't playing well, and two guys go down, they they're really thin there. We'll end up talking about it a lot.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Joel A. Erickson, Colts beat writer for the Indianapolis Star. Nice enough to take some time with us. Joel, you mentioned a couple moments ago about how you viewed the wide receiver room as not as bad as people took it last year. I don't necessarily fully disagree with you. I think they were largely hampered, and most would agree with the quarterback play of Matt Ryan and, and and the carousel that unfolded as of late at the quarterback position. When you look at how they approach this draft, though, or how you would approach this draft, rather, how aggressive would you be at wide receiver, knowing that you were confident in the room from what they did last year? Does that change your factor of what you want the Colts to attack first cornerback versus wide receiver with their picks following the quarterback selection?
4: Uh, a little bit. Well, I don't know. I, a, a, a little bit, I, I would be fine with the receiver at 35 if, if the right guy's there. I, you know, Michael Pittman is in the last year of his rookie deal. Um, and, and who knows what that contract situation is going to be like, given what receivers have been paid. And so if you just look at it going ahead, like, Ballard has kind of said that, you know, all, see, all off season long, like I think Pittman and Pierce are a better tandem than people are giving it credit for. So that's where they're at. Um, I, I don't know if I'm as, as far as high on, on that as, as they are, but even even if you are high on that tandem, you still need more guys, you know, um, probably two more. Well, I, I would feel like I, I know they signed Isaiah McKenzie, but that was a veteran uh, salary benefit deal. Um, McKenzie's never really taken over as a slot receiver in the NFL, he's kind of more been always a piece. And again, he's only signed for one year, so uh, you know you'd like to see some picks there. And and it wouldn't bother me if they if they took one high. I, I think I see cornerback as as maybe a greater need, just because uh, Isaiah Rodgers can be. I think obviously has shown that he can be a starting quarterback cornerback, um, but he's never done it for like in like the thousand eight hundred snap type range. And so with, with Kenny Moore, you know, Gus Bradley referencing him as a nickel last, last week, I just keep looking at that outside outside cornerback position going, I think they're just less proven than wide receivers. So cornerback seems like the bigger need to me, but that doesn't mean I don't think wide receivers a need. Um, you know, obviously they, they, they need to add some more in that room, uh, both now and going forward.
1: Joel, we're going to have a fun exercise, the three of us here in the studio coming up in the next segment about if we were in one of the three main positions of power within the Colts organization and it was just solely up to us, who would the quarterback be? Which is sort of stemming from a conversation that we had at the top of the show which is, we're sort of, we're nauseous now at the back and forth evaluation of these quarterback prospects. You can poke holes in all of them, you can make them all out to be future Hall of Famers if you want to, of the three that might slide to the Colts if they stay at four. I think the larger question is we're going to hear the same speech tomorrow, that it was the guy they targeted all along, the board fell exactly like they wanted to, yada, yada, yada. My question is, do you think that there is 100% consensus in the building on who that prospect would be no matter how the board shakes out tomorrow?
4: That is that is a great question. And I think the Colts have done a pretty good job of, Obscuring most of that info. Um, if if you read, I, I went through this with um, with KB and Query the other day too. But if you, if you read a lot of the stuff that the national guys are reporting from inside, like supposedly from inside the Colts building, it's not actually from inside the Colts building. They say people around the league believe, or uh, other t- in talking to general managers, they think this is what the Colts are going to do. Yep. Well, that's that's not the Colts. Um, and the consensus part, I think I think some of the hard part with that is you know, the way we define it versus the way, say, the Colts would define it. Because I think that the way NFL teams look at consensus is, okay, by the time they get up tomorrow, I think they know who they want and how they're hoping it to fall. Mm-hmm. Everyone will kind of be in on that. But does that mean that everybody felt the same way about the quarterbacks? Does that mean that they might not be thinking, hey, I, I thought my guy was pretty good. Like, uh, I thought he was better than this other guy. I, I think that there's probably that in all draft rooms. Uh I don't really see the Colts, though. They, they especially in the front office and the draft structure, I think they've—they've. They've, it seems like they've always been pretty much in lockstep with that. I don't—I don't know that you're going to see um, a couple of years ago where you had the one scout who was mad in the background of the video, <laughs> <That's> um, <right. laughs> or or last year like. The Titans trade AJ Brown and Mike Brabels like up and angrily walking away. <laughs> I'd be surprised if we ever saw something like that from the Colts because obviously it does happen. Um, those two op- those two examples came to mind pretty pretty quickly, but I just don't I don't I don't think that's how this front office is typically run. Yeah,
3: Joel. Building off that question, last year we saw. Jim Ursay flexes power, rightfully so, as an owner. And Will's brought this up a couple times as well, rightfully with, with, so, with, with the way the, the quarterback changes, right, rightfully so, rightfully so. Sure, that's something we'll dive into later. <laughs> uh, but but for the draft room conversation, we're obviously going to have this mock where where each one of us is is one of Shane Steichen, uh, Jim Ursay and Chris Boward. For from what you're hearing, how hands on or flexing said power will Jim Ursay be in the war room tomorrow night with what they do it for? He's promised that
4: Ballard and Steichen are driving this train, and he's he's there in an advisory role to kind of play the 10,000-foot range. Um, that's, that's what he said at the owners' meetings. He reiterated it several times. Um, generally, in the draft room, his role in the past has been more uh, – you know They're hemming and hawing over whether or not we should go get this guy. And like in the Jonathan Taylor situation, he says, hey, you guys have been talking about this guy for months. Just do it. Um, so that's, that's kind of where he's been before. I think, I think probably that's where it's been. That's probably where it's going to fall. It, the coaching search, I think, is our best indicator of this. It, Chris Ballard really ran that coaching search. Now, Jim Ursley obviously had played a, a significant, enormous role with the, the, the five-hour one-on-one meetings, and he should as the, as the head coach. But he let Chris Ballard run that, and um, I think that's probably what I'd expect from this one too. Is he's he's obviously a part of it. It's the quarterback position. He's always said that he believes his role is to uh, make sure that they have the right guys in place at quarterback, coach, and general manager. I don't necessarily know that he's driving a train as if he was back in his old general manager seat.
1: Joe, I don't like making questions where I'm asking you to, to give sort of hypotheticals, but we sort of arrived at this process where I feel like we've asked all the sort of normal questions. I'm not asking for something that would be totally crazy and inconceivable, but give me something that may be silly or, or wild that could happen for a Colts draft. It may not even be day one. It could be day two. That could happen that if you it happened, you'd give it that old uh, Alon the o- Alonzo Morning GIF sort of look like the oh oh okay like I didn't really see that coming but uh, yeah okay I can kind of understand it if it did play out that way there's like a, if there's a wild card out there uh, defensive end with thirty five. No, I thought you were gonna say four because I've been so jo- I've been joking I've been joking around about that a couple of times this week with the fourth pick with three quarterbacks on the board the Indianapolis Colts select Tyree Wilson defensive end from Texas Tech. Uh,
4: you know if if it if it was three quarterbacks off the board in the first three picks, I, yeah, that, that Will Anderson maybe. You know, yeah. uh, but I think I think defensive end at thirty five it would. Yeah. Throw in there. It doesn't seem like that's a spot where you need people after the signing of Abukum and some of the young guys they've got in there. But it's also a position where they've they've always talked about having eight or nine guys. And by my count, they're at eightish right now. And and Chris Ballard likes Ish. to take pass rushers. Yeah. You know, Chris Ballard likes to take pass rushers. And um, you know, we did sort of a, kind of what you guys are doing the way, the way we handle our mock draft the Star. Since I've been here, is we, we don't we let a simulator make the picks, and then we kind of try to make a decision. And I got to be honest, uh, just as a preview, I, I was tempted to go Will McDonald at at thirty five uh, with a lot of tools and traits off the edge, and kind of perfect for the Leo spot. Um, I, it just just because you know it doesn't seem like a need, but pass rusher is kind of one of those positions where you can always take one, and and you probably need
2: to.
3: Joel Erickson of the Indy Star. Nice stuff to, to take some time with us here in the Drivehuber.com studios. Joel, I kind of talked about last week that from the time the combine ends to about this seven-day window in the lead-up to the draft, there's a transition from really lying season where you get a notification and you wonder how factual it is. You see betting lines move and you wonder, okay, what is Vegas reacting to? We're now a little over 24 hours out from when the mocks don't matter anymore and the picks are actually made. If you're giving advice to Colts fans or on your day-to-day job as you're rummaging through all this, are we now in deciding season in your mind when you see a notification hit of, of breaking news or of, of speculation or or of mock, or is it still you're not trusting anything until the picks are actually announced?
4: I, I would say my big advice is, is don't read too much into the mock drafts. Especially this year. Um, when you've got the, the major newsbreakers like Ian Rapaport and Adam Schefter on, on saying, like, R- Rappaport has said several times he feels like maybe more than, than ever it's it's been pretty well obscured what teams are going to do. Mock drafts generally aren't very successful anyway in terms of picks. Now, they're usually more successful up in the range the Colts are picking. Um, but I wouldn't take it as necessarily news. Like, they know that this is the guy. I think they're more trying to read into the tea leaves. Like I said, I, I see a lot of the big name draft guys who put out mock drafts say, "Well, the league believes, the league believes, the league believes." That's not the Colts. Yeah. Um, and so, like mock drafts are great; they're fun, um, they're predictions, but don't take them as news. That, that would be my biggest advice. Like, like I said, the one that we put out, the one that we put out every year, isn't isn't even a prediction so much as it's a thought exercise. Uh, and so. I shouldn't even say that. It's not a prediction. It's, it's absolutely a thought exercise. We're not we're not trying to predict the other picks because I I, I don't work in Houston. I don't spend my time thinking about the Texans, you know. Um, and so and that's true of all these guys. Like, even the draft analyst guys, they spend all their time thinking about draft uh, picks and, and evaluating draft picks. They don't necessarily know what's going on with all 32 teams to the level of, say, you know like me who covers the Colts all the time and so all I think about is the Colts it's just not it's just not possible and so taking mock drafts as news as rather than sort of entertainment or a possibility or a way to kind of look through your own scenarios that's the biggest mistake and I see it happen sometimes on Twitter where people are like oh this person says it that's definitely what's going to happen I don't I, I don't think that's what a mock draft is
1: Uh, Joel, last one for me. Uh, No matter what happens at this quarterback position, no matter who it might be, we know that there's risk and potential reward, and it may take years to kind of figure out exactly how that pick plays out. Short term, with whoever, we don't know who the pick is going to be if they're good in their first year or bad in their first year, what is the realistic range of this team? So take me from rookie quarterback exceeds expectations and is a rookie of the year type of candidate to, wow, this guy needs a lot of seasoning and may not be the the answer long-term, but what is that actual range of wins that this position is going to have given this roster?
4: That's a good question. Um, I think obviously, if, if quarterback's really bad again, they could be they could be really bad again. Be picking really high. Um, I, I think probably the ceiling as as the roster is constructed now, without having, you know, a big time free agent signing and stuff. I, I think if he's really good and he's a rookie of the year type, like maybe sort of in like the Justin Herbert Chargers rookie year type range. You know, like they're kind of around the picture, but they're they're not necessarily they're not contenders. Like they might have a shot at the playoffs, but they're not they're not winning division. They're not they're not doing yeah. that kind of stuff. I, I feel like, you know, losing Stefan Gilmore, not necessarily replacing him, the the depth on the offensive line. Like even if even if Fries and Ryman are um, take huge steps. Like the, if you just look at a depth chart right now, I've got one up on the Stars website. Like you can look. They, there's really only two tackles on the roster right now that have mm-hmm. played. And those spots are going to get injured. So, I think looking at all that stuff, I think that's probably the ceiling. Is you know maybe maybe you're doing what the Eagles did in Sirianni's first year and sneaking in, um, but they've they've got some some big holes that could get even bigger with injuries.
3: Yeah. Joel, I hope you are able to get some rest finally like the rest of us here in 24 hours, or I guess for you it's probably more likely extended through Monday by the time all the interviews and everything are done. But uh, it's always awesome to get your perspective and try to take us through or, or handhold us as much as we can as we try to uh, survive through all the mocks, all the chaos, and all the havoc, and looking forward to a conclusion tomorrow.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for a quarterback. People people are asking me all, all, uh, all week, you know, just like who are who are the Colts taking and I've I've kind of even moved past or who do you like? I've kind of moved past that. I'm like, just give me one so I can start <laughs> talking about how the cults are trying to develop them and and why they made the pick and, and get working with real information. I'm kinda I'm kinda past trying to figure it out on my own. I I want I want to just work with who they've got.
1: Yeah, I agree. Joel Erickson, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. We'll be reading everything that comes out later this week. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on guys.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: It is the Fan Midday Show. Final hour here from the com studios. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm your humble golf announcer, Will Haskett, talking football intelligently somehow over the last couple of weeks, or some might argue, Debatable. unintelligently. Yeah, it's been... <laughs>
0: Somewhat debatable. That's why we have to have guests on
1: to guide us through this entire charade that is the NFL draft coming up tomorrow i guess tomorrow's not the charade everything leading up to it has been a charade till the real deal happens and we actually have players selected and they have their final locations and we'll see how many everybody gets right he is luke easterling writes for athlon sports you can read all of this stuff at athlonsports.com including his most recent mock draft was which was adjust, adjusted i should say a couple of days ago after the finalization of the aaron Rodgers trade to the new york jets hey luke how are you?
5: I'm doing great, Will. I tell you what, if if I could uh, if I could talk about golf and sound like I know as much as you seem to know about the NFL, I feel like I'd be doing all right. I feel like you'd beat me in that category. So oh, I, I, I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you very much. I, I wish I could be doing an entire stats and analytics report on the Mexico Open at Vidanta coming up this weekend, but I don't think our listening audience is really down for <laughs> John Rahm being a two to one favorite to win, which you never see odds like that. That's a different conversation for a different time. Um the odds are shifting quickly, Luke, depending on you know who's making them, about which quarterback will go off the board second, and that obviously has trickle-down effects with the Colts at four. I know you guys have sort of written about it. I know you've had your sort of slotting of the value of these quarterbacks, and you've been pretty steady in Bryce Young number 1, C.J. Stroud being a top-five pick, and then it's kind of a stretch for people who are looking necessarily at, at Will Levis and maybe to a lesser extent for Anthony Richardson, but how do you see tomorrow sort of falling out with all of the smoke that is now coming from every single outlet around the entire country.
5: Martin, tell you, I know exactly how it's going to go down, but I, I don't. And I think that's part of the uh, the intrigue uh, of this year's class is that, you know, as, as things have become to, they've crystallized a little bit around Bryce Young at number one, right, with the Panthers, but things have gotten much more foggy after that. So, you know, to me, in terms of an evaluation standpoint, obviously I think C.J. Stroud should be that next guy off the board, but it's just a different conversation for different players, right? Anthony Richardson versus C.J. Stroud is a very different conversation because you're talking about a guy who might have a much lower floor in terms of his you know, bust potential, I guess, but also I think has a way higher ceiling because of those rare physical traits and the, the size, athleticism, the speed, the, the arm strength. I don't know that we've seen a combination quite like Anthony Richardson maybe ever, and so that type of potential can definitely entice the team to make him the next guy off the board. Levis has some similar things in terms of the arm strength. He's not quite the athlete that Richardson is, obviously. Um, I think one of the biggest advantages for Will Levis and maybe what could be causing his rise up the board late here, and and, and when we talk about this rise up the board, he's not going anywhere really. It's the media and and oddsmakers maybe catching up to what the league has already known and how the league actually feels about him versus what those of us who have been writing mock drafts for six months, you know, have been expecting him to, to land and where he, he should land. It's everybody catching up to the fact like, Oh man, you know, maybe, maybe they like him more than we thought. Maybe, maybe they like him more than we do. Um, and and one of the reasons why I think is the experience in a pro style offense. He's, he's had a very NFL type responsibilities in the huddle at the line of scrimmage, the way they call plays, the way they're designed, the way he executes them. So, you know, a lot of times some of these college offenses can be kind of gimmicky and, and they're meant to succeed on Saturdays and not necessarily prepare you well for Sundays. I don't think that's the case with Will Levis. So when you when you combine that with he's a real tough guy, um, he's competitive. I, I think he can, he can impress some coaches in the room and on the whiteboard with, with the way he approaches the game. And I think that may be the biggest reason why we see him maybe as the second quarterback off the board.
3: Luke Easterling here with us on the fan midday show. Luke, we had Matt Miller on yesterday and he mentioned that he had Will Levis as the 30th best prospect overall, uh, right around the range that he had Hendon Hooker at while you have 20 spots worse on the Will Levis grade. You also have him in the same spot as Hendon Hooker. If we're playing in a hypothetical where the Colts wind up with Levis at four based on your evaluation is all lost. Is it a reach off your board? And if it's not all lost, why should Colts fans be optimistic or be able to talk themselves into it if that is what happens at four?
5: Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree with Matt. He's a he's a good old friend, and pro- I probably wouldn't be here without him, to be quite honest. Um, I love him a lot. So with Levis, you know, it, the, the reason you can sell yourself on it is because if if you don't have a quarterback, you have to get one. And if you have to get one, you're going to have to pay – Draft picks are kind of like the, the, the currency that's comparative to where quarterback contracts are now. You can look at what Derek Carr got in New Orleans. You can look at what Daniel Jones got to stay in New York and say, you know, in a vacuum, are these guys worth $30, 40000000 million a year? Maybe not. But what's it worth to you to not have a capable quarterback? What's it worth to you to have to start over, to have nothing there? to sell to your fan base or to your locker room that, hey, we've got a guy in their center that gives us a chance to win. And so if you don't have that guy, you're going to have to, what will appear to be, overpay, even though it's not overpaying, because that's what the market says he's worth. that That's the value for, you know, and we've seen it at other positions, too. the You know, the bucks have, I'm down in Tampa, the bucks have paid Donovan Smith $15 million for the last three or four seasons to be their left tackle. He's not, you know, he's an above-average left tackle. That's how much it costs for an above-average left tackle in the NFL nowadays. There's just not many of those guys walking around. So, you know, it's so, it's interesting to compare the way we in the media stack these boards in a, in a very macro, big-picture way versus how an individual team with very specific needs in a very specific situation will look and say, listen, the media might think this guy's the 50th best player in the draft, but if he's, The third or fourth best quarterback, or maybe to us, he's the second best quarterback, and we don't have one of those. And we have, you know, we see tools in his game that can develop into a franchise guy that can make a difference for us and and lead us where we want to go, which is winning division titles, winning championships. It doesn't matter whether I have him 50th or Matt has him 30th or somebody else has a second round grade on him or whatever. If you think that guy can be a franchise quarterback, he's not going to be there in the second round at the 50th pick or the 30th pick at the end of the first round. They don't last because quarterbacks are just too important. So the sell I would give to the Colts fans is this guy has the tools in the right situation to be successful. And if he, if he does that at, your, at that position in particular, nobody's going to ever care or remember, and it won't matter whether he was 30th or 50th on some media board, if you're in the playoffs and you're winning division titles with him. And that's just how important that position is.
1: I appreciate the power of positive thought that Luke's bringing to (laughs) to all of this. Uh, We reserve the right to come back and talk quarterbacks, but I do want to go farther down the board, Luke, because the Colts have, I think, just as important of a pick coming up 35th overall in the second round. They may end up packaging some later picks to even bounce back up late into the first round. Whether it's a weapon for whichever quarterback they take early, whether it's to provide a cornerback, which is probably the number one need on paper outside of the quarterback position for this group. You've got a burning questions piece that's up on Athlon Sports right now, and I was looking at how many cornerbacks could end up going in round one because there's just so many talented guys in this draft on the defensive side of the ball, especially outside. I just feel as if that second-round pick is going to be somebody that plays on the edge, whether it's catching passes or defending people that catches passes for this Colts team. If you're sitting there beginning of the second round and you're not willing to move back in, what do you think the value is going to be on the board at that point in time in either one of those positions?
5: Yeah, those those two positions are going to be really interesting to follow probably the back half of the first round, right? So, so I think we could see a run on each of them, particularly in the 20s, because at receiver, look who's picking in the 20s. You've got, you know, even Seattle at 20 could probably go that way if they want, you know, somebody to understudy behind... Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, you got the Chargers at 21, Baltimore at 22, uh, New York at 25, even Dallas at 26. You have so many teams that could use a receiver, and depending on when that first one comes off the board, Jackson Smith and Jacob from Ohio State, we expect to be that guy. But the rest of that top, maybe five or six, could go in any order. Dave Flowers from Boston College, Quentin Johnston from TCU, uh, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, there's so many guys in that next tier that you're not sure when teams are going to start that run, right? The corner class is just ridiculous. The corner class, yeah. I think I have 10 corners in my top 50 overall, wow. which is just absolutely ridiculous. And there's something for everybody all shapes and sizes, arm lengths, skill sets. You got guys that can do it all. You got slot guys, you got outside guys, speed guys, big physical guys, the long arms. You got literally something for everybody. So, I think at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I think if there's a run on receivers early, that makes it less likely that they'll go there because yeah. I don't know that they'd want to reach for one of you know whoever the fourth or fifth guy in that list is. I feel like it's much more likely, even if we do have a corner run on the back half. I just think there's too many of them. There's wait, there's too many good corners to fit in the back half of the first round, and that's even with guys like Devon Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez, likely top ten, definitely top fifteen picks. Deontay Banks from Maryland should be going in that range. Um, but there's so many guys that just aren't going to be able to fit. Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State. Julius Brents from Kansas State is one of my favorite corners in this draft. Uh, Keely Ringo from Georgia. Cam Smith from South Carolina. There's so many guys. Somebody's going to be there. Somebody's going to fall. I feel like the, the best – the most likely scenario for them to find value and need is going to be at corner because there's just not going to be enough spots for them. We don't even have 32 first round picks this year. We only got 31. Thank you, Miami. Yeah. Yeah. There's only, there's one more guy that could fall to you there. So I just think it's going to match up at corner better than it will at receiver in terms of value.
3: Luke, anybody's guess is satisfying at this point when it comes to the Houston Texans. But just as you've, as you've gone through all of this, do you have any gut selection for what they're ultimately going to do it to?
5: You know, I, I feel like the smart money, if I just t- try to block all the noise out and say what makes the most sense if they're not going to take a quarterback, because I think that should be the easy call to me. But consider the fact that D'Amico Ryans is coming from a 49ers experience where they could win a lot of games with a really good defense and a quarterback that just doesn't screw it up. And so if, if he kind of wants to build with that mentality, and obviously Nick Casario is the GM is going to have a lot a heavy influence on that as well. But if they kind of have a meeting of the minds and D'Amico's like, listen, we do not have to spend this pick on a quarterback for us to build a winner here. Will Anderson makes the most sense to me. That doesn't mean he's going to be the pick, even though I, you can draw some connections there. D'Amico Ryan played linebacker at Alabama uh, in a different way, a different, different role. But, but, you know, Will Anderson being a star linebacker from Alabama, I'm sure it doesn't hurt his chances of going there. But I think the dark horse guy to watch out for is an in-state guy. Tyree Wilson from from Texas Tech is a guy that has the kind of rare combination of the, the size and the athleticism, the versatility, the length, and, and the potential to be what we saw from Trayvon Walker last year. Going into that draft last year, even into the last few days, you had the Jaguars could do a million different things, and if they were going to take a pass rusher, you had two very proven, very polished guys and Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. And then at the last minute, Trayvon Walker, because of the combine, because of all the different things that he brings to the table physically, just jumped into that number 1 spot. Tyree Wilson has that type of ability, and I think that's why we could see him be the surprise pick at number 2 if they don't want to go quarterback and they want to just swing for the fences on the guy who has the most potential as opposed to Anderson, who I think is, if there's ever a sure thing in a draft, which there isn't, he's probably the closest thing we have in this draft. That's the dark horse for me is Tyree Wilson at 2.
1: Luke Easterling joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Luke Easterling, reading his stuff at Athlon Sports uh, this is a question I haven't really addressed as much because I feel like so much has been talking about these four quarterback prospects. And again, I'm going to take Bryce Young off the board because we we sort of know he's going to Carolina number one. That seems like the only sure thing that we know about. But you know, a month and a half ago, Luke, it was would anybody trade two first round picks and pay big money for Lamar Jackson? Like where was the, where was that traction going to go? If you believe some reports, Trey Lance could be on the trading block as well. You look at these three remaining quarterbacks on the board as prospects compared to what might be available out there in terms of trade. I don't rule out the fact that it may not be trades tomorrow for picks, but trades for players that are currently in sort of the NFL. How would, you, how, how would you weigh the value of these prospects as quarterbacks coming into this draft versus maybe a couple of guys that are on the market, if you will, via trade?
5: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's going to come into that conversation is money. You've got to be the right team in the right situation with enough cap space and close enough, in your opinion, to being a contender to to warrant making a trade where you're giving up picks for the right to break the bank and give Lamar Jackson the contract that he's not getting from Baltimore, right? So, uh, you know, even Ryan Tannehill, if a, if a veteran guy like that was on the market, he's got a $34 million or something like that cap hit this year. So, you know, does he move the needle enough for you – as a team who needs a quarterback to be able to think this guy can get us over the hump, get us to the playoffs and it's worth the the, the big money. It's worth giving up the picks as opposed to taking an Anthony Richardson or a Will Levis or even a Hendon Hooker, a guy that whoever is in charge, GM, head coach, whoever, whether you're on the hot seat, whether you're just getting started making that pick buys you time because you're, you're, you're going to be able to sell it to the ownership. Like, Hey, we just got this brand new quarterback in the building. It's going to take some time and patience, but we're going to do it. We're going to get it. We're going to get it turned around and you're going to do it on a rookie contract, which is a lot cheaper, and you have four than five years with the fifth-year option to, to figure it out and build around the rest without giving up those extra picks to, to get a veteran guy. So I think it's got to take a very specific scenario where a team has enough cap space to absorb it, they've got enough of a, a supporting cast around whoever that quarterback would be to be successful, and it's got to be somebody they think moves the needle and gets them over the hump as opposed to the the financial and the, and the time considerations that would come along with spending that pick on a rookie.
3: Luke, what's your evaluation of? arguably the best tight end on the board in Notre Dame's Michael Mayer? Uh,
5: Michael Mayer is is Jason Witten to me. Uh, I feel like that's the the best. Con- I don't I don't like pro player comparisons. I, I don't use them very often. But but when some when one jumps out at me, I, I have to kind of notice and, and, and take take stock of that. Um, I think Dalton Kincaid from Utah is probably the best pure pass catcher in in the class of tight ends, which is extremely deep, by the way. And I think if I had to pick a blocker, George's Darnell Washington is probably that guy. And I like his ceiling as a receiver. He, he hasn't been used much there, but I think he's basically an extra offensive tackle. I think Mayer is the best blend of both of those things. He may not be quite the pass catcher Kincaid, is, may not be quite the blocker that Washington is, but he can do both of those things at an extremely high level. And I think he's one of the most polished and pro-ready players in the draft, period, regardless of position. So, you know, you might have a little bit more of a ceiling with a guy like Washington, might get a little bit more explosiveness in the passing game from Kincaid. But Mayer, again, is just uh, – there's no sure thing in this draft, but there never is. But but Mayer is a guy who I think has a very, very high floor. I think wherever he goes, that team is not going to be disappointed with him. He might not be Antonio Gates in terms of flashiness and, and explosiveness down the field, but I feel like he's a, a 12-year pro, pro bowler type of player that just doesn't really have a, a flaw in his game.
3: If you're a wide receiver needy team like the Colts, I understand that unless our mock draft simulator that we just played out uh, lets this havoc happen, which would be him still available in the second round when they pick at 35. But when you look at a receiver needy team, is mayor greater in terms of impact for a young quarterback than one of the wide receivers in this class?
5: I, I think he could be, and because, again, you, you give him – you give it value in, in the run game as well as, as a blocker. And I think that when you do that and, and add the fact that you know what you're getting, he's going to – it's going to be very – tight end's not a, an easy transition position, right? There's a lot to learn. You have to be in offensive line meetings. You have to be in receiver meetings, basically. Like, not physically, but mentally you have, to, you have to be there in that way. You have to be able to be both of those things uh, at any given play. Um, so, I think, I think Mayer is a guy who would make a more immediate impact. And again, the receiver class is weird this year, too, because nobody is big. All of the best receivers in this class, save for a couple, are, are really small. Quentin Johnson from TCU is really the only top five receiver in this class that's above six foot and above 185. And then you got to go a little bit further down the list. Guys like Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, Jonathan Mingo, maybe from Ole Miss. Everybody else is sub six foot and sub 185, basically. So, it's a very small receiver class. I'm not saying those guys can't be t- can't be good players. They're, they're good at just about everything else. They're fast. They're, they run great routes. But if you want a big physical target, you're going to be waiting a while if you don't get Quentin Johnston, basically. So it's, it's a weird receiver class. It's a deep tight end class. I think, again, Mayer is, is one of the most polished guys who's going to come in and give you added bonus in the run game as a blocker and a reliable target that you can count on at every level of the field as a receiver. I feel like that does more for your quarterback than reaching for a receiver.
1: Colts have draft capital late in this draft, and I understand so many things happen and we have no idea what's falling into the fourth or fifth round. The Colts have three fifth round picks. But if you were to say, in terms of, of mid-level talent depth, we talked about wide receivers and cornerbacks sort of early. If you had a glut of late picks in this draft, you'd be looking to stock up on what position group that seems to be you know, just flush this year in this draft class.
5: Yeah again I, I probably would double dip at corner uh, you know and, and it depends on who I got early if Music I use Music to Gus you know,
1: Bradley's uh, ears right here <laughs> yeah, I mean Gus Bradley's just yes come on giving them corners
5: Well and again because because you need different guys for different roles you know if if you if you spend 35 on a guy like Julius Brant or Emmanuel Forbes a guy that's going to play on the outside with the big you know the taller frame and the longer arms then you can spend one of those fifths on a nickel guy a guy, a guy that's going to be smaller but maybe tougher uh, better short area quickness, and a guy that can line up in the slot and give you, give you a boost that way and also help you on special teams. So Those late-round picks are about taking chances on guys with athleticism and upside, maybe guys that got hurt and fell down the board, and maybe once they get back to full strength, you'll be able to, to make a steal out of those picks. And they're also for moving around earlier in the draft. You know, uh, If you have three fifth-round picks, I would be willing to bet that the Colts don't make all of them. You know, I'd be yeah. willing to bet that one of those picks gets used, if not more, to maneuver earlier on to get guys they want higher up the board. Um, but that's what you're trying to do in the later rounds. You're going to try to find guys you know, who can make an immediate impact. Do I need a kicker or a punter? Who will actually make an impact this year? Do I need special teams depth? So you're drafting athletes, you're drafting you know, smart players, captains, guys that can make, you know, again, high-floor guys that can come in and be a good addition to your locker room uh, in terms of the culture. Uh, and you're looking to to swing for the fences on some athletic traits. Maybe a guy is not a complete player, but he's blazing fast. Well, we'll work on everything else, and we'll just use your rare speed as best we can. So that's what you're trying to do on day three if you end up making all those picks.
3: Luke Easterling with us here on The Fan. You can follow him on Twitter, at Luke Easterling. Luke, I want to go to the other conference represented in the state in the Big Ten. I know you had a tweet about him yesterday, but what's your overall takeaways from Purdue's Corey Trice?
5: Yeah, again, corners that are that big with that length and and the ability to flip their hips and and turn and run with receivers, they're, they're just there's not too many of those guys. So he's a guy kind of came too late in the process. And once I saw his film and dug into it a little bit, I was like, wow, he's, he's a lot better than I, I expected. Um, and again, you know, look at a guy last year like uh, like Tariq Woolen. I don't think he's on that level as an athlete, um, but a guy that went in the fifth round because people just you know, oh, he's pretty raw. He's going to take some time to transition in from receiver. You know, I don't know how, how teams feel about tries, but when I when I actually dug into the film a little late in the process here, I saw a guy who, again, with the size and the length, the physicality and the, and the fluidity that he has, it's hard to find guys at that size who can do all those things well. Uh, I ended up with a third-round grade on him. Wouldn't be surprised if he goes that range or a little higher. If he goes lower than that, I think he'll be a bargain.
1: Luke Easterling, always good stuff. Uh, Luke, enjoy the draft tomorrow and um, and, and enjoy all of the the second guessing that everybody will have coming up afterwards, whether (laughs) it's on too high, too low, mocks that were right, mocks that were wrong. It's always a fun time of year, and we'll have finally some closure, at least for round one coming up tomorrow.
5: Hey, always a pleasure, guys. Enjoy the weekend.